2: The Talksport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, working our way through the team, we've done the goalkeepers and defenders, we've done the midfielders, and today will be the forwards. But we are working with a little bit more information today than we were for the previous two pods because Albion have put out their released and retained list. And Pete, I don't think there's an awful lot of surprises in there, to be honest. I think... Livermore, we obviously already knew about. He'd announced his departure prior to the end of the season. I, I think after what we said on prior pods, that we're not surprised at Brian. Why would you re-sign a player that's barely kicked a ball? I think it's something like about 15, 20 minutes he's played for uh, since he signed for us. And then Rogic, four starts all season, did not make any sense. The one that has caught a couple of people out and actually caused a, a little bit more consternation than I expected within the Albion fan base, is Eric Peters being offered another year. Now, I know that both of us said on the Defenders pod that we probably wouldn't have given him another year. I have to say, I feel like backpedalling a little bit here because after it happened, I obviously started having discussions with people about it on Twitter. And the more I talked to people about it, the more I just felt it made sense. Albion are in a position where we have our loan repayments kick in next year, next summer, as far as I'm aware. I could be wrong, but that's what I've been led to believe. So to one-year deals are extremely attractive to us at this point in time. You are not, generally speaking, going to get new signings to sign one-year deals in most cases, not if they're any good anyway, or unless they're absolutely at the back end of their career, in terms of Peters, well, the one-year deal is what is on the table. You would like to think he would sign it because he's probably not going to get a more lengthy deal anywhere else. And we know what we're getting. It's better than – in fact, no, it's not fair to say better than the devil you know because that suggests there's anything wrong with Peters. And actually, he was he was rock solid last season. And I've got no problem with his performances – he stayed fit. Yes, he had to play through a knee injury for big quite a decent chunk of the season, but he did play through that knee injury. And to be honest, it didn't seem to affect his performances. The only thing that really affected his performances was losing the guy alongside him. And as I say, Pete, the more and more and more I've thought about it, even after what we said on the on the pod and saying we'd like to like to see people like Jack Robinson and people like that brought in, the more I thought. And the more as well we've gone through these different pods, I have thought there are more important areas for Albion to strengthen this season. And if you can just get Eric Peters done on a one-year deal and that's your centre-halves, because I I think, I believe Kipre will probably go. But even if he does, that leaves you with Martin Kelly, who we actually omitted uh, speaking about, Daro Shea when he's fit, Peters... Taylor, Ajayi, and also Bartley, which is more than healthily stocked at centre-half. It just gets centre-half done and dusted, as well as giving you another option at left-back, while probably not costing yourself too much in wages, and also only committing to a one-year deal, which if we haven't got up by the end of next season and the loan repayments are kicking in, that we can just say hi, Eric, thank you very much for everything. But, you know, we, we really, really got to cut our cloth now and, you know, cheers, but don't let the door hit you on the backside on the way out. I just think it makes sense, Pete, the more I've thought about it.
0: Yeah, I don't mind it, really. Um, Again, one-year deal, Um, kind of suits the club, probably won't be on huge wages. And it's it's somebody that Corran knows and has worked with, knows his personality, knows, knows that he'll be able to ask, do what's been asked of, of him. And knows his style, um, which just kind of makes things a bit smoother. And he's, he's been solid. Um, I think the thing that was putting me off was just kind of the age and maybe if he's blocking, um, kind of a pathway for Caleb Taylor, but if it's on a one year
2: deal. Do, do you see that being the case though, Pete, given how much? Forebrand has seemed to lean towards balance in 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 his centre halves and liking a left footer on on the left. Given that given that Taylor is a right footer, do you think that he actually will be that much of a blocker to uh, Eric Peters be that much of a blocker to Taylor getting football?
0: Well, he might not be in that case because yeah, as you say, he seems to favour a left footer and often building up with kind of a, in a back three shape, and obviously um, Peters has kind of filled the. Uh, the left centre-back, left-back kind of position, which is obviously quite a bunch of the left footer there. So I don't know, but, you know, Colbran might kind of rework the system and, and even drop Townsend into that early build-up and kind of shift the centre-backs to the right so that the person who is playing left-centre-back kind of plays cent- the central centre-back in the build-up, if that makes sense, and, and it's not as important, I think, um I mean, we spoke about his adaptability. So, yeah, I, I don't think Colbran would hesitate to, to adapt it to... to Bring players in if he wanted to. Um, but yeah, on a one year deal, it's not like he's going to be in the way of Taylor. If, even if he is for a year, it's not like he's going to be there for two or three years blocking it. And it'll probably help, help Taylor yeah. learn. You know, he's an experienced pro and been around a few clubs, played at, played at the top level. And, um, from what you hear, it seems to be quite a good guy to have around the dressing room. So yeah, it's definitely not the worst, um, contract extension that we've,
2: we've offered in our past. Probably a bit of a recognition of where we are as a club as well at the moment, that we do need to do those kind of short term deals, which is probably why when we're looking through this, that we are looking at freeze and probably quite a lot of loans in in reality. Just last thing on the released retained list, Pete, a couple of youngsters let go in Castro and Richards were the most high profile ones, the ones who have actually had sniffs of uh, first team football and, and I do mean I do mean sniffs because it hasn't been much more than that um, and then Fahl and Andrews the ones who've had looks at the uh, the Albion first team who have been offered deals to me that both sides of that make sense I I was really impressed with Jamie Andrews against uh, against Chesterfield I think there's a lovely neat tidy midfielder there if he can develop I was quite impressed with Far. I, I, I thought—I I, I forget now which game it was. He came on as a as a substitute, but I felt he actually could have should have scored in the in the last minute. He's—I mean—huge for a start. And again, you can't tell much from looking at a player for such a short period of time. But I think, as well, the the goals that he scored when when out on loan. Okay, it's a much lower level, but I think he's worth a little bit more time investing into him. With Castro and Richards, I know some people have been a bit surprised at Richards. I'm not going. I'm not sure that I am. I haven't seen that much of him to know, if I'm honest. But he just seemed a little bit further behind the likes of Malcolm and Fahl in terms of his involvement in in the first team. And if if that's the case, then where really is the pathway for him? If if Cleary, Malcolm, Fahl, players like this are ahead of him, where's the pathway? and Castro I just don't think will ever be up to this level not unless there's a big big change in the way he approaches the game i will always go back to the way he he dived into that challenge at swansea when they ran clear and scored he that is it's a ludicrous decision he then went to burton and he they couldn't get on with him he didn't get any football the end they ended up sending him back okay, he found his level a bit in the national league at, at notts county but then he wasn't even that heavily involved there all the time I, I just, I just don't, and he, and also he's a little bit older. I think, I think I'm right in saying he's 22. I just don't see that there was ever going to be a West Bromwich Albion player in Kevin Castro. Um, and uh, unfortunately, the, the the stepping stone has been a has been a stepping stone to free agency for him.
0: Yeah, I, think I agree with you on them with Richards. He kind of, well, with both of them, they don't seem to have got any closer to the to the first team than they were a year or two ago so yeah I think that's a sign they've they've not really developed I think both have kind of been on the fringes well the very fringes um, but yeah not got any closer and and in a sense you've got to just trust what the coaches that see them every day think because personally I've I've not seen a lot of them I've seen a little bit of the under-23s the season before last and the under-21s last season and you know a couple of minutes of them first team um, so it's difficult to make a judgment just on that, but you know, obviously the coaches will watch their development and see how they're getting on and kind of understand that with file. Yeah. Um, again, you can't really say too much because not seen enough of him, but I mean, it's interesting that he went off to, um, was it file that he went to? And it was under, indeed. Yeah. Under Adam Murray, who's was, was the assistant under, um, Ishmael. So he obviously thought quite highly of him. I mean, it was. I think it was National League North, so it's not a, a high standard. But I mean, Cobra entrusted him with a place, a spot on the bench, a couple of times, and made an appearance or two, maybe just the one. But again, I think you, in a way, you just got to kind of trust the people that see them every day. Uh, then maybe you come back in five years and they the players that have been let go develop blows in playing Championship football.
2: But... but but then, would they have developed if they hadn't had any football with us? I, I think my, my take on on Farl is he's worth another loan. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, and see how he gets on a, a little bit higher level than National League North, and you know that'll tell you a bit more about the player and, and whether he's worth keeping long term. But yeah, obviously players develop at completely different different speeds, and you can't just hold on to players because they have been in the in the academy, and, and you're hoping that they turn into first team players. Because I think every fan wants to see academy products in in the first team and playing, but.
2: Well, it's also, kind of it's, a, it's a it's a it's a damn sight cheaper than buying players, which is which which is a factor for us at the moment. Well, it is, and
0: I mean, we've got a few in the first team now, so and they've come in um, and done well. If you look at Dario O'Shea and Alex Palmer, Josh Griffiths, I think that's all of them at the minute. But Taylor, yeah, um,
2: Taylor Gardner Hickman,
0: Taylor Gardner Hickman, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, you can only pick them when they're ready, and I think as fans, you kind of hope that you see more, but seen more of them in the first team, but uh, I think you've got to trust the coaches that see them every day and see how they're developing.
2: Well, moving on to what today is all about, and that is the forwards. And as I said on the previous pod, we've taken a fairly liberal definition of, um, uh, of what, of what a forward is for West Bromwich Albion. As I say, we've considered the players who play in the wide attacking areas as our forwards. So I'll start with the wide attacking areas. I'm kind of going to go through this p- position by position, if you like. And, Really, in terms of naturalized position, we—I feel like we've only really got one wide right. It, it, actually, we, we 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 look quite stacked wide left, which is crazy to think that we finished the season with practically nobody to play that position. But actually, if everybody gets back fit, we're actually pretty stacked in the left wing area. It's just that they all got injured at the same time last year, but. In wide right, really, we've only got Jed Wallace for me. I think that once you get beyond that, you're probably looking, in terms of naturalised player, Tom Fellows. I know Phillips as well could switch across. I, I mean, you could make an argument to say you could play Reach, Dean Garner, Maybe even Grant there, but I don't. I think we've we've never seen the best of Dean Garner when he's been on the right. Um, I don't think i certainly don't think the be- you see the best of Carlin Grant when he's on on the right. N- uh, we'll come to Carlin in a bit. I'm not sure where. You, not sure where you see the best of Carlin Carlin Grant. Probably Huddersfield, if truth be told. Um, but uh, but I, I I think in terms of naturalised players, really, you've only got Wallace, and then probably like I say, you are looking at Tom Fellows. I mean with Jed when when we sort of look at this from the point of view of keep or sell. I mean, it's just an absolute no brainer, isn't it? I don't, first of all, I think you'd do well to get any real money for Jed Wallace. The only problem with Jed Wallace is exactly the same as what we raised with, with John Swift is that, is that Jed Wallace is going to be on a lot of money. He's, he's on, he's on a long-term contract as well, which I, I think I'm right in saying has three more years to uh, to run. I think we gave him a four-year deal. We gave Swift a three-year deal. I think we gave, gave Wallace a four-year deal. So he will be on on contract with Albion until he's 32. He's 29 at the moment. But he was incredibly, incredibly consistent for Albion. 3,962 minutes. Just to put that in perspective, I think you'll find that's 94% of the minutes that Albion played last season in the league, Jed Wallace spent on the pitch. I mean, not only is he starting basically every game, he's, he's never getting brought off either. This... This is, I mean, this is how important he is to the uh, to the Albion cause. But also, I think it's a little bit of a problem, and it's something we'll come to when we look at the transfer options, Pete. That I do think we need an alternative to Jed because I felt I felt he burnt out a little bit towards the end of the season. I didn't I didn't think we I didn't think we necessarily saw the best of him. To be honest, he's got the most progressive passes in in the squad. Um, with 166, just to put... Uh, sorry, most progressive carries in the squad with 166. To put that in perspective, the second most has 110. So, if you're talking the most has 166 and the second most has 110, that is basically a third less. I mean, that's a staggeringly large amount. And then you look at most progressive passes received, 381. The second most which, by the way, is Grady, who who spent a chunk of the season out injured anyway, is on 193, nearly 200 less progressive passes received. So what I'm effectively saying is Jed Wallace beats players and Jed Wallace picks up the ball in dangerous areas. That's basically what we're saying. He got six goals and eight assists, which is 14 goal contributions. It's good. He should have had more assists if the Albion players had finished their chances. uh, the, the, The... Expected assisted goals says 8.9. Should have had more goals. His expected goals says 6.8. So he maybe needs to brush up on his finishing a, a little bit, which is not a surprise to anybody. He has, He's had some decent pullback shots, which he's kind of hooked wide. But he's just so, so important to uh, to what we do, Pete. As I say, he carries the ball. He, ta- he picks it up in, in dangerous areas. But I do think we need an alternative to him? Because I, I felt like we burnt Jed out last season. What do you think?
0: Yeah, obviously he's, he was brilliant last season. Excellent on the right creatively. I think he's a superb crosser. And most of the time he's actually trying to pick players out. And that's the thing with expected assists. He'll only register as part of an expected assist if the pass is complete. If he's whipped a ball into a dangerous area, it's just kind of, you know, fizz through the corridor of uncertainty and gone out. Towards the back post, and nobody's connected with it, it's gone out for a throw in or a goal kick or whatever, then that won't even count as a pass. A complete so pass so basically,
2: if, if we'd had a penalty box striker for much of the season, which obviously we didn't due to DK's injury, then you think that that number would have actually been an awful lot higher.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you got Erling Haaland at the back post, then it's going to be so many more of these crosses are going to... Fight I think to we've
2: got post. more chance of, of Alfie at this point, mate. <laughs> yeah, if you've got someone like Erling Haaland at the back post, then
0: you're going to you're gonna score, well, score more goals obviously and score hundreds in the championship, but his expected assist would be high because it'd just be somebody meeting it at the back post and then it, just because that is completed, it would push it up and they're going to be really good chances at the back post from like three yards out as well, so I don't think his expected assist doesn't justice really? But yeah, just really dangerous on the on the right. He'll create and he'll um, he get goals for himself as well. Which is from useful, what like you see in
2: the data, Pete, does it does this narrative that's been built around Jed Wallace that he whips pointless balls into the box? Does it annoy you?
0: Yeah, I think so. Like I say, he puts puts a lot of crosses in. He's like in the ninety percent for crosses, which well crosses per hundred passes. Um, so taking into account that we're fairly dominant possession side he's in the 90th percentile so he does put a lot in but i i personally think the vast majority of them are actually aimed um and not just whipped into to nobody like i said i think it it would be more effective if we could have maybe had dk fit for a whole season or if we would got well i mean if we got andy Carroll, i'm sure we'd be getting on the end of them but even just somebody with or a couple more players with a bit more intelligent movement um, and it wasn't just crosses he was putting in a lot of the time. He was cutting it back to Swift as well. And we got a couple of goals from that, and maybe he should have had even more. So I think when he does get into the positions, he's quite, he definitely has his head up and he's looking to find somebody rather than just whipping it in aimlessly. But yeah, on the whole, I think he's, I personally think he's probably been our best player this season. So yeah, I, I can't really give him much more praise than
2: that. Uh, he and Swift in an ideal world players you build this team around next season in an attacking sense?
0: Well, definitely. Um, obviously, they're both excellent players at this level. Both creative and both goal-threats themselves. So, uh, yeah, I think they've got to be the, kind of the two key players that you, you know they've got their place in the start 11. You've got to assume for, for the majority of the season. And then who else are you going to slot in around them that's going to work with them? Um, as well as the quality, I think you've also got to consider that we've got them tied down to what you can only assume is pretty hefty contracts, and
2: I, th- I think oh, in twelve I months' time, Pete, we may we may well look at that as they've got us tied down to, as opposed to the other way around.
0: Oh well, yeah, exactly. Um, so you've got to use them if you're going to pay them, and I think what Swift's got another two years, is it, and, and Jed done yeah. another three, so
2: I think so, yeah,
0: yeah. We're not getting out of them anytime soon, so you've got to make the most of them. Also, we might even just be able to afford them, but yeah, I. I think there will be two uh, probably our two key players next season.
2: I briefly mentioned Tom Fellows there, Pete. I I have to say, I mean, look, I, I haven't seen an awful lot of his his loan at Crawley. I hear I heard good things, um, but a League Two loan for me is not where you then go and bring the player back and stick him on uh, stick him on the bench. I think for me, he falls into the category of let him go and get league one football next season and, you know, maybe bring somebody in as a premier league loan to fill that right wing backup to, to Jed Wallace and, and let fellows develop. And maybe then Tom fellows is an option for us at the start of the 24, 25 season, as opposed to this coming season. Would you, would you concur with that? I
0: think he largely played as a wing back. Crawley, was it? I think it was Crawley. Um, But yeah, I've, from what I've seen in the data, he looks like he's had quite a good season. Um, I think he's quite an attacking-minded wing-back because I think he initially was, was a winger and they probably just dropped into wing-back. But, you know, good good carrier of the ball. Likes to take on his the opposition. Um, so, potentially quite an exciting player. But like you say, it, it is a big step up. Um, Brandon Thomas-Sante made it quite successfully, however. So, again, I'm sure Corcoran will, will have a little look at him pre-season. We'll have a look at how he's done on his lone movement. I make the decision there. Yeah, it might be a case of kind of offering him out to, to League 1 clubs and see if any of them fancy him for a loan and just let him develop at a slightly higher, higher level for a season and then see where he's at in 12 months' time.
2: We'll shift across to the other side now. And as I say, I mean, it's crazy actually when when, when you look at our wide-left options that we ended up with, so with, with just Grant at the end of the season because you have got Dean Garner, Reach, Grant and Phillips as well as Jovan Malcolm as a as a youngster coming through as well, it feels like we should be stacked in that area, but we ended up absolutely down to the bare bones at the end of last season, which is down to nothing nothing other than bad luck, really. When you when you when you stop to look at it. I want to start with the most versatile of those, because I, I feel like Matt Phillips is an option on both sides. I, I think it, to be honest, he's even shown at times he can be, he can be an option through the middle as well. I don't, uh, I don't think it's by any stretch of the imagination. his his best position, but I think for him, I think his best position is where he started playing for Corbram, which is, which is on the left-hand side. But I want to start with some, with some numbers around Matt Phillips and, Pete, see if you can see if you can spot a trend here. These uh, this is Matt Phillips's minutes played. Nineteen the, the nineteen twenty season two thousand four hundred and twenty seven minutes. Twenty twenty one season one thousand eight hundred and twenty five minutes. The twenty one twenty two season one thousand five hundred and sixty four minutes, and then last season one thousand one hundred and ninety six minutes. So he dropped. Six hundred mi- minutes between nineteen twenty and twenty twenty one. He then dropped just uh, just under three hundred minutes between twenty twenty one and twenty one twenty two, and then he dropped nearly four hundred minutes between twenty one twenty two and twenty two twenty three. There's Matt Phillips' problem. In a nutshell, it's nothing to do with his ability. We can go on and talk talk about his ability as a footballer in a minute if if we want to, but. I personally think it's, it's a waste of time. In my in, in my opinion, there is no argument a, a around Matt Phillips' ability. He is a quality, quality footballer at this level. The problem with Matt Phillips, plain and simply, is that every season, we are getting less bang for our buck out of the guy because he's not on the football pitch. And I don't blame Phillips for for this. We all get older, our bodies break down. Believe me, I'm 40 years old. I'm feeling it myself. But the fact is... As a West Bromwich Albion footballer, he cannot be relied upon to be on the uh, on the pitch and this is not this is not a, a horrendous twelve months like we've just seen for 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 d k We are seeing a considered deterioration in the number of minutes Matt Phillips is playing progressively for four seasons now, and that's got to be a massive, massive concern Pete.
0: Well, it's a point that we made about kind of Townsend and the same can be said about Jed Wallace is that they're just always available, and that's in some ways as big a attribute as, as their other biggest strengths because you just get you get value for money when they can play almost every game, um, and you can trust them and and they can be relied upon. Matt Phillips is well, he seems to be heading in the, the complete opposite direction, which is as you say understandable because of age, um, but. Not being available is 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 a big loss because you know he's obviously getting his wages and in a way it's extremely frustrating because we saw when he Coburn brought him into the side he he was fantastic and we seem to see a little bit of a drop off after he got injured as well. So as supporters it's extremely frustrating to see that. Um, As you say, his his ability when he is fit is is very high and it's just a bit of a strange one sometimes because he seems to drop in and out of form and when he's confident he seems to be very good, but then he, he almost seems to have these low patches where it just he loses his form, but you know, you always see him come back and and he's quite clearly a good footballer at this level, so
2: he's super reliable off the ball though, Pete. Even when he's out of form, I, I had a look at the numbers and, and whilst his attacking numbers are not anything to, to write home about, as you as you say, they're kind of like their fits and starts. He seems to. He seems to either score or assist in in blocks in a lot of seasons. He is ninety sixth percentile for interceptions, eighty seventh percentile for blocks, and ninety second percentile for clearances. He's he's basically in the top fifteen percent of players as far as far in the division. This is by the way, in terms of wingers and attacking midfielders for defensive numbers. He so. For a t- manager like Corbran, who builds from the back, that's that's massive if you can rely on the guy to go out on the pitch and be rock solid. Whatever he does in an uh, in an attacking sense, putting that aside, you know you can rely on him. But unfortunately, as I say, what the one thing you can't rely on with Matt Phillips is for him to actually be on the pitch.
0: Yeah, he always works hard. But as you say, it's he can be as hard-working and have as much as ability as you want. But if you, you can't be on the pitch for... The majority of the minutes of the season, then, then it's difficult to kind of make a case for for you being a player at the club. Um, I think what's he got? One year left on his current deal.
2: Yeah, and I mean, if we if we even think about extending it, we're crazy. We're just crazy. And as I say, that's not knocking his ability, but you can't get him. You can't get him on the pitch. And and do you know what? Even if next season he he goes and plays forty six games, which which I would happily have a have a wager with anybody a charity wager that Matt Phillips does not does not play I would happily wager he won't he won't get to my magic number of 3,000 minutes next season because he, he he seems to be playing less and less minutes every season even if he did I wouldn't give him a new uh, a new deal because the tr- the trend is there over four years that his body is breaking down
0: yeah absolutely um completely agree with that and i would be surprised if anyone comes in for him but I mean if we could get a couple of hundred thousand, then I'd probably be tempted to to let him move on. But I also wouldn't be against it. It'd be, it'd be his wages
2: that will stand in the way, though, won't it, Pete? Because he will be on he, he'll be on chunky wages. Didn't he sign a new contract just after we got relegated?
0: Yeah, I think so. So it's
2: yeah, as you say, wages going to be
0: an issue. But I mean, if we can get him off our books, then that's probably the bigger bigger benefit than the actual fee. Yeah, I wouldn't be against him being in the squad for another season anyway, because. When he can, when he does play and can play, then when he tends to put in good performances, it's just just getting him to play often enough is is the difficulty.
2: One player that we did miss towards the end of last season was Grady Dean Garner, but that's not in any way, shape, or form the kind of trend that it is with Matt Phillips. I mean, Grady's twenty five and and certainly hasn't got any sort of the injury record, and I think Grady Dean Garner was underestimated, Pete, as a big loss i don't think people considered that to be a injury that shook our season but i think it was i really do think it, it think it was i mean he was he was impressive seven goal contributions four goals three uh, three assists which is the same as brandon thomas asante by the way just to, just to put that in in perspective he he averages nearly three progressive carries per 90 he's second in progressive passes received Uh, Despite only playing 1,932 minutes, he's another one that works his backside off off the ball. He is in the top 1% of attacking midfielders and wingers for blocks made in this division. He's in the top 15% for tackles made in terms of attacking midfielders and wingers. And he's in the top 19% for progressive passes received. He's just fantastic off the, off the ball, but he also is second only to John Swift in terms of shot creating actions per ninety. So, I've, I've, uh, and the other thing is as well, he doesn't waste the ball, and I think this is a mes- misconception with Grady that people think he 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 makes too many mistakes he's actually got the best pass completion of a non-defensive player. Now, that's important just to put that in perspective because you would expect defensive players to not take risks on the ball. Simple little sideways passes, passing the ball across the back four like you see us do frustratingly quite often. So your defensive players are always going to have a better pass completion rate because your attacking players are going to play risky balls. They're going to try and play... Through passes, they're going to try and play crosses into the box, which naturally are going to have a lower completion rate than playing than a centre half passing to another centre half or passing to the fullback or passing out to a defensive midfielder who's dropped in quite deep. So he's actually got the best comp- pass completion rate, better than Swift as well, by the way, of any non-defensive player in the squad. Seventy-six point two percent pass completion. He's just very, very technically good. He beats people, he picks up progressive passes, he makes progressive passes, he creates shots, and he he uses the ball well. I think if we can get him fit and keep him fit, I think there's a massive, massive player there for us. He's still only 25. He should be, you would like to think, in the next year, reaching his kind of peak years. Is I would I would like to think that is going to be the case with Grady. I think he could be an enormous player for us going into next season. Again, just similar conversation to Swift and Wallace. If you're talking, should he stay or should he go? It's a difficult one because he's going to be on big wages. And he probably, he's got a little bit of monetary value, probably not that much given that he's he spent the back end of last season injured and he, he hasn't had a stellar season but people are going to know his quality and maybe might be tempted to pay a few quid for him. But so in terms of whether you'd sell him or keep him, I think it's actually a tricky one. I think if an offer came in, you'd probably have to listen to it because it would be getting a very large amount of money per week off the wage bill. But if he ends up staying with us Pete, and can stay fit, I think he could be a massive player for us.
0: Yeah, I genuinely think he can be one of the best players in the championship if he's, if he's fit for the whole season. As you say, he creates chances. Um, it's quite strange actually. His pass accuracy is like 80%, but if you look at his progressive pass accuracy, it's much higher. It's 90%. So he's actually more accurate with his passes that are moving the ball forward. Um, which is a bit of a strange one. I don't know if all of his other passes are really, really risky ones. Um, but, um, yeah, so he's, he's, He's secure in possession, he does a lot of defensive work and he's he's good going forward as well. He's obviously a very good dribbler. Um he wasn't as good last season as we've seen him in, in the past in terms of taking players on and, and creating chances in that way. But I don't know if that was a bit of a confidence issue. Um and he seems to have added a bit more of a goal threat to his game. He's he's getting into good goal scoring positions and he may not have scored as many goals last season as he did in his lone season with us, I'm not sure. He was getting into kind of better positions. And if he does that regularly throughout the entire season, then he's going to score a lot of goals. Um, his non penalty XG, but 90, it was 0.24. Had him in the 90th percentile for wingers. Um, so one of the best in the championship. So of getting good chances regularly. And you know, if he, if he did that for a whole season, you'd expect him, you'd expect him to score what? 10, 11 goals for a season if he played every minute. Um, which isn't a bad return for a winger that's actually seems to be favoured as kind of a, a wide winger in a way, like a left-footed left, left footed player playing on the left wing is you'd expect to score less goals than a player that's cutting in onto the stronger foot and, and taking shots like that. So,
2: Well, that's yeah. important though as well, isn't it? Because when we compare with, with with Phillips, he's so different because Phillips' his average position is is very far inside and Grady's, as you say, really isn't.
0: Yeah, that's why I, I was a bit confused about Um, Phillips when Colburn first started using him because he seems to favour wide wingers a bit like Pep Guardiola has done in recent years at at Manchester City and having kind of wingers playing on the side of their foot like Jed Wallace for example. You know he's a very wide winger playing on the right hand side he's right footed so kind of putting crosses in like that suits him but cutting in doesn't and you'd expect Phillips to to be cutting in a lot more but he, he did keep quite a fair quite a bit of width when he was playing under Corbran, and would be putting crosses in with his left foot, which didn't seem to be optimal. But yeah, that's why I'm not sure if he will be considered to be a left winger next season, or Corbran might see him as back up to to Jed Wallace, playing that more um, traditional winger style. Um, But as you said before, Phillips is very versatile, and and De'Angano is similar, that he can play on both wings if, if he needs to, and doesn't look too uncomfortable on either. Obviously, we've seen the best out of him when he's played on the left, but I think a lot of the time that he was playing on the right, he was quite low on confidence, and he, a lot of that was under Ishmael. And Diangana was a player that didn't seem to enjoy that time under Ishmael.
2: Does he? Does he need that coach to get hold of him, work out the best way to get the best? Out of him, um, we we saw a little bit of a mini renaissance of him under under Steve Bruce, but then as the form went away, so did his uh, his a little bit. And I think I think both of us were under the, under the impression that Steve Bruce didn't really have that much of a game plan most uh, most weeks, certainly in game anyway. I also felt that that under Bruce that w- where. Um, where he links up, where Grady links up very, very well is when he has good interplay with his fullback. But I felt Swift kind of drifted into, into his space a bit under Bruce. And it kind of, it, it made for a very crowded left-hand side of the, uh, side of the field. And I mean, there's no doubt in that Ishmael was a terrible thing to happen to Grady D'Angana. He, uh, Ishmael's style of football was never, ever, ever going to suit Grady D'Angana. And, You know, he lost a big chunk of his Albion career trying to play a game of football that just wasn't him in any way, shape or form. I think the guy, the guy has definitely had some confidence issues. He's had some ups and downs. We've heard, we've heard as well, you know, rumours that that he, uh, and they are just rumours, I don't, Purport this as fact that um, that that he struggled with the transition from from London. That maybe even he didn't want to leave London, but West Ham took the money and said, you know, there's the door, pal. And that was diff- And that would be difficult for any of us. And I I have to say, having worked with, with with players a long time, it it's one of the things that frustrates me a little bit about football supporters generally. That it isn't always appreciated that when you move to a different part of the country or when you move you know move away from your family or move away from your friends or move to a different country or or whatever that the impact that can have on you as an individual is often not taken into account by by people sometimes not even taken into account by pundits who've played the game, which I find very very strange it's almost expected that you go from being. Where you were settled to moving somewhere else, possibly moving into sort of like, I'm sure very nice accommodation, but probably temporary accommodation, you know, rented accommodation, and expected to kind of just be the same person. And look, we've all been there. We've all had to, we've, we've, we've all, I'm sure most people listening to this have made a move in their lives where for at least a period of time they felt a bit of a fish out of water. They maybe didn't know a lot of people. And it, it impacts you mentally, and maybe that is what happened with Grady. The word is he, he he settled more in the Midlands now, and that can only be a good thing. I I think I, I think sometimes these things they don't get taken into consideration anywhere near enough. I saw it enough times with with players who took a little bit of time to. To find their feet, whether that was with the area, whether that was with the country, whether it was with the language, whether it was with the food, whatever it might be. These are human beings and sometimes it does take them that period of adjustment. Grady's granted has been a little bit longer than we would have liked, but then he's had at least one manager that definitely did not suit him. I, I'm I'm hoping Pete he's had that adjustment period now and we may just finally get to see the best of him again.
0: Yeah, hopefully they're all good points and as you say, it can take time for the players to settle. I can't remember what book it was that I was reading. Um It was, obviously, it was a football book, kind of an analytics kind of base book and it says that clubs quite often neglect that kind of aspect of it and it would actually be quite beneficial to clubs to have people in place to, to just make sure that everything's comfortable for players that are moving. I mean, I think it's more to do with players that are relocating from abroad. Um, and foreign players, but just to get players settled in faster and a bit more comfortable, and just yeah. In we we
2: certainly more. we certainly did have that person when I was when I was at the club. We uh, we had. Andy Marriott the former nottingham forest goalkeeper for a time we had a we had a a an a a fella called Andy Hussey, who the players absolutely loved i have no idea whether andy is still there but we certainly did have that have that person for a for a, for a time and we 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 had the we had we had the wonderful jill who is just an absolute magnificent institution at West Bromwich Albion who, who used to l- l- sort out a lot of the players um, the, the transferring their bills over and stuff like that. I used to do amazing work. All, all the players absolutely adored us. So we had, we had a great team who, who made that transition fairly easy. And, and we also had, um, we also had an in-house—not this is an an issue for Grady—but we also had an in-house language teacher who was who was coming in once a week as well. Um, and any foreign players who didn't speak the language would immediately go into go into that class and start start learning learning English from uh, pretty much from day one, walking through the door. So I don't know. I honestly don't know what it's like at the Albion now, but I have to say when i when i was at the club that was a real focus that you know obviously came down from people like dan that uh, that 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 was something we did we we didn't just buy these players plop them into the west midlands and go there you go cope there was a whole team of people whether it was the, the Andes, whether, whether it was Jill, whether it was the, the language coach who's the, I, I'm the language teacher who, I'm sorry, their name, uh, escapes me. Even, even, even down, even, even down to the, the people in the canteen who would uh, would ask them what they liked make them make them something that made them uh, made, made them feel at home gene uh, was just a, just amazing we had a great chef there every time zoltán Gira went went back to um, to hungary he he brought back this hungarian sausage with him which would, which would then get made into a, a hungarian casserole which all the lads would eat but it you know it was again it was it was a way of me, meaning that when Zoltan came back from Hungary, he wasn't straight away homesick for Hungary because he could he could have his nice Hungarian dish and everything like that. You know, so much stuff went on at the club to make sure that these players felt at home and comfortable and happy. I've no idea whether it goes on anymore. Um, sometimes, with, say, say with Grady. All of this stuff could go on and still be done as well as it did when I was at the club. It's more than possible that that is the case, and it's just that you know Grady is homesick, and sometimes these ho- you're homesick, you're homesick, and there's nothing that you can do about it. Sometimes it just is, it it, it just is the way of the world. But, um, you know. I do think in the past the club have done an awful lot in that in that area, and it is is somewhere certain. It's is an aspect of the club. But certainly from from my time at the club, which granted ended in 2014, I have to say we were just, we were superb at.
0: Yeah, which doesn't surprise me when you consider that Ashworth would have been at the top at that point. Um, he was very smart in everything that he he did, and I mean the same for all the other posts that he's been in since he he's left Albion. So. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me that we're good at that, and it doesn't surprise me that we had so many foreign players coming in at that time that just seemed to settle in relatively smoothly. Um, you know, if you're bringing in players that uh, bringing in staff to kind of help that make it an easier ad- adjustment to to life in in England, or or if you're just moving from somewhere else in England to to the West Midlands, then um, you know. Those, those staff are going to be on a, an absolute fraction of the, the salaries that the, the players are going to be on. So if you can just get a, even if it just helps get 5% more out of the player on the pitch, then it's, you know, it's a, going to be a value valuable investment, especially if you're spending millions on bringing this player in. Um, so yeah, I mean, hopefully we're, we've still got staff in place to do that to, to kind of help it. But I mean, we don't send that many foreign players at the minute. So. It wouldn't surprise me if we, we didn't have so much of a focus on it. Um, but yeah, back to Grady's. I think if we can get his confidence back, um, then as I say, I think he can be one of the best players in the division. So I would, yeah, personally, I want to keep him, um, and see him for another year. Obviously wages and whether he can actually get a fee from his, you know, that, that might raise a question because he probably is one of the, the higher earners in the squad. The fact that we signed him for, quite a large fee at the time. Um, so that's, I mean, that's the only issue with him for me. I think quality-wise, he's yeah, there's no questions there.
2: Let's move on to the last two senior players in terms of the left-hand side. And I'm going to say it now, these are both players that I would look to move on if that was even remotely possible. And I'm not sure necessarily that it will be. i will start with Adam Reach. And people who listen to this pod regularly will know that actually I haven't got a lot of bad things to say about Adam Reach, but it comes down to one simple fact for me. In the Ishmael slash Bruce season, Adam Reach played 1,999 minutes, which is more than acceptable for a squad player, to be honest, 2,000 minutes, um, all but 60 seconds. So it's not unacceptable for a squad player, that kind of number. Last season, three starts, 15 sub appearances, 435 minutes. I'm also... Of the understanding again, I have no access to wage sheets or anything like that, but I'm I'm of the un, uh, I'm certainly led to believe that Adam Reach is on a pretty decent wage. It's too much. It's too much for a player paying, playing 435 minutes, Pete. And to be honest, we seem to we we got fairly down the options before Adam Reach was playing wide left for Corbrand. I I can't imagine that if Phillips and Dean Garner are back. And fit and available at the start of the season, and stay, and um, um, one of those two stays available for much of the season. I can't imagine that Adam Reach will play much football. And I, I think if there was an opportunity to get his wages off the wage bill, I would one hundred percent. At thirty years old, as well, I one hundred percent would do it. I, 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 I'd be very, I, I'd, I'd be very happy to cut my losses with with him and, and and let him go on a free if there was any takers. To be honest, I wouldn't be I wouldn't even be looking for a, for a fee. I think just getting him off the wage bill would be a huge win, even with his versatility, which is an asset. But like I say, it's not getting used, is it? 435 minutes.
0: I still stand by the fact that I think he was probably a good signing when we had Valerian Ishmael in. The fact that wing-back seemed to suit him.
2: Um, Depends what he's earning, though, doesn't it, Pete? I mean, if it's if it's upward of twenty grand a week, which which, which there have been rumours that that is what he's on, I mean, that's 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 a lot, isn't it?
0: Oh yeah, of course. I was, yeah, when I said a good signing, I'm, I'm purely thinking of the the player and his ability and his style rather than the actual wages, which is obviously it's, it's a key part of it. But yeah, I mean, even even under Ishmael when we brought men, he never seemed to. Be that he was going to be anything other than back up to, to Connor Townsend. So I, I don't know how he justify spending that much on him. But in terms of just his ability, I think he's definitely more suited to being a wing back and kind of delivering crosses from relatively deep and not having to make too many runs in behind and maybe just having a little bit more space out there. As a left winger, I, I don't think he's, he's good enough really. Um,
2: it goes back to not having a plan around the managers, doesn't it, Pete? We brought in a very specialised manager in Valerian Ishmael, brought in very specialised players for him in the likes of Adam Reach and Alex Mowat, and then we get rid of uh, we get rid of Val after less than six months, three four, three, four months, and we have no use for the players he brought in.
0: Yep, and uh, it just always seems to come back to that, is long-term planning and an actual vision for the club which we seem to lack but yeah I agree with you that if we could get if we could move reach off somewhere and get him off our wage bill then I definitely would Um again I wouldn't be looking for to get a fee for him Um definitely not a high fee I'm just kind of get whatever you can get If then just be happy that he's you know no longer having to pay his wages and it might free it up for somebody else because um, as you say he's right down the pecking order um, doesn't offer an awful lot. He's not much of a goal threat. Um, his crossing is decent, but I don't think he works the space to cross enough.
2: Steady defensively, isn't he? And uh, you know, he's he's decent on the ball.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think too much of him is just steady, and I just don't think he's, he's good enough to definitely not good enough to be a starting player. And I don't think he provides enough competition for the the players ahead of him to to really push them on and actually make them worry about. They're placing the squad. So yeah, if he was on a, a low wage, then, mm. you know, he might be, might be a decent player to have because he's, he's got a little bit of versatility that we've seen him drop into central midfield, um, on occasion. Yeah, steady. So if it was on a low wage, then yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind him being around. But I mean, if the rumors are, are true, then I just don't see how he can justify having a player of his quality on those kind of wages
2: and in regards to that uh, i mean first of all it's important it's important for us to say when 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 we say about these these players are not worth the wages generally speaking we're not we're not actually we're not having a go at the player somebody puts a good contract in front of you you're going to sign it you've got to ask the question of the people who did the deals in the first place and another one of those deals that you have to ask the question what on earth were we thinking was it uh, uh, was it five or six it was a six year deal for carl and grant what, what were we, what were we thinking? I mean, the guy's, the guy is only, only 25 still, which actually, actually amazed me, to be honest. I, I, I don't know why I would got it in my head that he was, that he was older than that. But, I mean, look, we've just hampered ourselves with a guy who we are paying his transfer fee off at 2.5 million a year. So we're stuck, we're stuck with that. Even if we got rid of him, we've still got to pay off. I think, I think we still owe what, five mil on it, uh, even after this year. So we're still st- stuck with five million that we've got to pay to Huddersfield, even if, even if Carl and Grant left tomorrow. We've got his wages. We've got his long term contract. I mean, it was just madness. Uh, uh, who thought that there was value in giving that length of contract, amortizing the, the, the payments? It's okay if you're Chelsea. And you do these kind of deals because you've got a level of guaranteed income. As I mean, even as bad as they've been this season, I think they're on forty nine points or something daft like that. They still haven't managed to get relegated from the uh, from the Premier League, and they never they never will. They they just won't. It won't happen. But if you are West Bromwich Albion, you don't you don't go around handing out five year deals and spreading two and a half million payments a year across uh, across six years. It's just it's madness. And when I looked at Carlin Grant's data. I mean, he's obviously played a lot more minutes than reach. 1,719 minutes. Three goals, but that's from an XG of 6.5. I mean, he missed some horrible chances at the start of the season. But I mean, then once I get beyond the goals and and he gets himself into some decent positions and that's worth noting. When when you've got a high XG, it's worth saying, well, you've got to be in there to miss them. I'm not sure that forgives the one at the back post against Sheffield United, but either way, you know, okay, he should have scored double the goals he did. It doesn't Speak well to his finishing, but at least he's getting into the positions. Once you get beyond that, he doesn't win aerial duels. He doesn't have any real defensive data. And bearing in mind, he's playing the same position as Phillips and Diangana, who we've both just highlighted that their defensive data is decent. His progressive carries is okay, but nothing, uh, nothing special. His expected assisted goals, he is in, he is. In the first percentile, which means 99% of players in the division are better at expected assisted goals than him. 84% of players in the division are better at him for shot-creating actions. I've just written here at the bottom of my piece of paper, Pete, because I'm I'm old school, can't use iPads and spreadsheets and stuff like you. I, I have to use a notepad. I've just written here, if he doesn't score, he's a waste of time. And that's that's my simple take on Carlin Grant. He either scores, or he's pointless.
0: Yeah, you're not far wrong there. Um, I mean, his expected goals is is very good. I've got it here as 0.38 for 90 for non penalty expected goals, which is you know it's very high when you consider that he's played a fair bit of time out wide. Even just for comparing him to strikers, it hasn't been about the 75th percentile. But he's not scored enough goals from it. Um, I mean, I've got it here which. I struggle to believe that he scored two goals. I think that's non-penalty goals, but I feel like I need to check that because that seems extraordinarily extraordinarily low, especially when
2: no, I, I think is... I think that's right, Pete, because he scored them early on in the season. I mean, he scored in the Cup uh, a couple of goals, but yeah, in terms of championship goals, I think he got three.
0: Yeah, because, well, I've got him, as two non-penalty ones, but I've got his non-penalty each year about 7.9, so it's he's drastically underperforming there. Um, to a crazy amount. That's I think probably worse than Jordan Hugo levels when he was with us. Um,
2: yeah, and this and this is this is a point, isn't it, Pete? That Hugo got absolutely battered for the chances that uh, that he missed by Albion fans. Grant Grant is missing them just as badly. I mean, uh, to 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 basically be at fifty percent of you. When we start saying that uh, David Button is saving only fifty percent of the shots that 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 are hit at him. For carlin Grant to be only scoring fifty percent of his his xG is almost as criminal, isn't it? Well, I've got it closer to twenty five percent. So yeah, yeah. Sorry, um, you're right. Yeah,
0: but yeah, it's it's crazy underperformance. Um, I mean, it, you've got to say that he, it's not like a, a regular occurrence that happens for him, and he's just a terrible finisher. But I mean, yeah, I think you to ask questions there. Maybe it's low on confidence. Um.
2: I think he's a poor penalty box finisher, Pete. I think, I I, I think when like in the previous season under, under Ishmael slash Bruce, when he got opportunities on the edge of the box, I think he's actually a very good finisher. Uh, You know, any, any, anything where he can have a moment to just take a touch and then try and whip it towards the far corner. I think he's a good finisher. I think when balls are flying across the six yard box, I think he's a dreadful finisher.
0: Yeah, that may be the case. Um, I mean, it may be just kind of... I've just brought up his numbers from last season and he overperformed by two goals, so maybe he's just kind of... Those swings that strikers have, they're coming in and out of form. Mm-hmm. But he's definitely a threat from outside the box. We saw that a couple of times. Um Not the season just finished, but the one before that. And he, he does kind of create chances for himself with his ability to dribble. His, his dribbling is actually... The data is it's better than what I would have expected just from just purely thinking about from just purely thinking back, watching him over the past couple of seasons. I've never really thought that he's a great dribbler, but I mean, his dates suggest that he's, he's actually quite good. Um, but yeah, he, he really wasn't much of a creative force last season. Uh, he was a, a bit more creative the season before that, but still not majorly for a winger. He's, he's, as you say, it's more about him scoring goals rather than creating for his teammates. And, and if he doesn't score himself, um, and then he doesn't offer too much else.
2: I mean are you on the same page as me that if there was an opportunity there to to get rid that you would? Uh, he does come with complications obviously like I say amortised payments on his transfer fee, a long contract I mean he, he got very very close I mean if Amari Hutchinson had got done he would have finished the season as a Swansea City player uh, he got extremely close to that. Do you but that was only going to be a loan and maybe that is what we end up doing this season this season as well i think it's a similar one to to callum robinson really to a certain degree i can't i can't see us getting real numbers for him in terms of transfer fee you might you might just on the basis that he scored 18 goals for us the season, uh, the, the season prior to this one, that he scored, I think it was um, eighteen, nineteen goals for Huddersfield in in this division. You might find somebody who is prepared to pay a million quid for him to take him off us. But even if somebody pays a million quid for him, Pete, we're st- we're still left four million out of pocket because we've got five left to pay off him. It, it, he's a difficult player to shift, isn't he?
0: yeah difficult in the sense that you want to just cut your losses and take a little bit of money now and yeah just kind of move him on rather than just waiting for his contract to expire and get him you know minutes out of him game time out of him, but then probably lose him for free at the end of that so it's it's difficult in terms of that um especially with the payments that we've got got left to make on him, and you've got to assume again that he's on fairly high wages he was signed this season we got promoted to the Premier League and it, off the back of a very good season in the championship, so I doubt we got him on the cheap. So that's another issue there, and yeah, that's why I'm, I'm a bit, I'm a bit unsure on what I would do with him because I think he certain aspects of his game are excellent in terms of being able to get chances from the left wing, and generally, you know, he obviously he's had a poor season in front of a goal, but generally, he's, he's not that poor in front of goal, and he will score your goals in the championship from out wide and probably even if he plays up front but it's just whether he offers enough in his all-round game to to be valuable um especially for Coarbarn who doesn't seem to favor kind of goal threats out well just pure goal threats out wide I think he's he's more interested in actual wingers that can maybe take the the man on and get a bit more involved in play rather than
2: well, this is what I was going to say, Pete. Would, you know, do, do you think Corbrand's going to be more likely to hang on to Karl and Grant or ship him out on loan and try again for Amari Hutchinson, for example?
0: Yeah, I mean, based on the January transfer window, I'd, I'd guess ship him out on loan, and I mean, it probably increases transfer value. I'm not sure how long he's got left on his deal. I'd guess another two,
2: two or three years, but he's done it. Being I, a I believe deal. it's. I think it's two. Yeah,
0: I think if he goes somewhere in the championship and it's the right side for him, then he could score a lot of goals. He is a very good goal scorer from, from out wide. Um it's just as I say, it doesn't offer enough enough else to I think Corbram would prefer somebody more well rounded. So if he goes somewhere else and scores a lot of goals and maybe in twelve months time increases his transfer value. Um and we can get a, a little bit of cash from but at the same time it's a year less a year less left on his deal, which goes in the opposite direction and decreases his transfer value. So it's yeah, it's a really I think Grant is I mean, probably the most tricky one to to make a decision on what I'd, I'd do in the entire squad.
2: Lastly, before we look at the centre forwards, Pete, uh, the the because we're going to s- sort of ignore Ryan Tullock um, because I believe I believe he's still got time left on his on his loan in in Ireland, Um so the other the only uh, the only youngster left to really talk about is is Jovan Malcolm. He obviously made a bit of an impression came on, scored against Chesterfield, scored a very good goal as well. I think for me, if you can get Phillips and Dean Garner fit, even if you're shifting out grant maybe reach i uh, I think that what happened in terms of injuries last season was freak, and I don't think i I don't think it will happen again in terms of that left hand side also even with all those injuries, Malcolm still didn't get a sniff, really. I think you've got to be looking at a loan for him. And, and maybe maybe you do bring somebody like Hutchinson in if you can shift, reach and uh, and grant whilst Malcolm is out on loan. And like I say, look again at Malcolm in, in 12 months' time when if we don't go up, we are going to have to cut our cloth massively and turn to a lot of the youngsters. I, I think it would be more beneficial for Malcolm to go out on loan, don't you? Yeah, I'd agree with
0: that one. Again, he's just kind of been on the fringes of the squad and... He's somebody that could do a playing regularly at that age to, to aid his development. Um, and I can't see it happening, um, next season at the Albion. So yeah, I think a loan move would be better for him.
2: Brilliant. Well, uh, we will take a short break there, but after the break, we will look at Albion's centre forward options, which <laughs> isn't going to take that long because they're not th- they're not that in depth, I have to say. And then we will have a chat about some transfers that that we would like to um, like to s- see the Albion buy. We'll see where the Pete George private jet has been this week. Join us in a moment.
1: For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.
2: Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18+, plus. serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, hello and welcome back to Albion Analysis. Well, we've looked at Albion's wide options, which, you know, actually took a bit of time because we actually have got more than, you'd, <laughs> than you would think, given how down to the bare bones we were at the end of last season. But actually, if everybody was fit, we've actually got quite a lot of players in those areas. I don't think that's necessarily true. Really, in the centre forward areas, Pete. I think really we we're, we're looking at two players, aren't we? In in reality, in terms of what we've actually got in terms of first choices, we've got obviously got Brandon Thomas Asante, and we've got Daryl DK. And I did a little bit of I did a little bit of side by side on them, and they get they get compared quite a lot, and you get a lot of which one is better i know a lot of albion fans really like really like brandon i do understand why i am very much of the opinion that i don't think either is necessarily better i think it just in, i just think that we've got two incredibly different center forwards and it depends what you want from your center forward so to look at their numbers, obviously DK played seven hundred less minutes than Brandon Thomas Asante last season. That's not terribly surprising, given how many injuries DK had. They're both the same age, which is something that is worth mentioning because I don't. Uh, for some reason, there seems to be a perception that DK is is older than Brandon Thomas Asante. They're both twenty three. You know that Brandon is this young buck and DK is this experienced head. That's not that's not true. That's not true. They're both the same age. Now, they both scored the same amount of goals, uh, granted DK from a lot less minutes, 700 less minutes. They both scored seven goals. Where This is where we get into the differences between them. Now, DK scored seven goals from an XG of six, whereas Brandon scored seven goals from an XG of 9.9. So the first thing to state categorically is DK is considerably, considerably the better finisher of the of the two dk also scores more frequently a goal every 171 minutes so better than a goal every other game brandon scores every 271 minutes which is obviously just slightly more than a goal every three matches then you're into other uh, other bits of data it's interesting to see that um the shot on target percentage for Brandon Thomas Asante, it's twenty nine point eight percent. So, uh, so thirty percent all but the shouting. DK gets forty one percent of his shots on target. He also takes more shots, three point two nine per ninety, than Brandon, who takes two uh, two point seven. And he is better as well at having shots from closer range, which anybody will tell you gives you a better chance of scoring. DK shoots from an average of eleven point eight yards. Brandon from an average of 14.3. So DK, in terms of all his shooting data, is better. He's also much, much better in the air. He he wins an average of 4.12 aerials per 90, as opposed to Brandon's 2.08. So, I mean, I've thrown a lot of, a lot of numbers around there. Basically, the long and short of what I'm saying there is that DK is a significantly better... Penalty box striker, a better aerial threat, a, a better finisher and a better goal scorer than Brandon Thomas Asante. Where Brandon Thomas Asante is much, much better than Daryl DK is he makes much more progressive pa- carries per 90, 1.94. He also makes more progressive passes. Um th- 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 Brandon Thomas Asante also works a lot harder off the ball. Um, he He's in the 90th percentile for interceptions, 91st percentile for blocks, 89th percentile for uh, for successful take-ons. Basically, we've got two completely different strikers. It's not a matter of one is better than the other. We have got one centre-forward who is a definitive number nine. That is what Daryl DK is. He is a guy that gets in and around the penalty area. He's also very strong in the air. He's a powerful, proper, old school number nine. That's what that's what I see in Brand in, in, in Daryl DK. In Brandon Thomas Asante, what you've got is a guy who is decent on the ball. He takes people on. He beats players. He commits players. But he's not as good a finisher. He's going to do more for you in the all round game. He's also going to defend for you. He's a great he's a great striker to have when you are a goal up because he will absolutely occupy defenders i don't think one is better than the other personally i think they're just i think you need both over the course of a season because inevitably people are going to get frustrated with dk at times because a little bit like the conversation that we just had with grant but less so definitely less so there will always be a conversation around dk of If he doesn't score, has he had a bad game? Or if he doesn't get, if it's a game where we get very low levels of chances in a game, what has DK done? Because he's not going to do the things that Brandon Thomas Asante does, which is harry defenders, that is drop a bit deeper and start taking people on and pushing the ball down down the line. So you're going to need Brandon in those types of games. I think you need them both, but because Brandon is not going to score you enough goals. Uh, not at the moment anyway. He, he is still young enough and raw enough to get better in that area. And if he gets better in that area in terms of finishing, in terms of actually getting chances, oh my God, what a player. I mean, really, really what a player he would be because he would have near enough everything if he actually improved the goal-scoring aspect of his game. But at the moment, we've got the perfect striker in almost two parts, We've got the one who is hardworking and runs the line and almost, you can almost see is a winger converted into a striker. And then you've got the other one who is an archetypal number nine, but you know, if he doesn't get chances, is he going to do that much else for you in the rest, in the rest of the game? As I say, Pete, for me, one is not better than the other. I think, as is the case with most championship clubs, you don't get the perfect all-round player, the player like Sergio Aguero or Thierry Henry going back a few years, who can literally do it all. Mbappe, for example. In fact, Mbappe doesn't even defend, so maybe maybe you can't even put him into that category. But you don't get those kind of players at our level. We have got two players who, between them, tick off pretty much every attribute that you would want from a centre-forward. But individually, they have qualities and they are flawed. And that's why it's so important that they're both fit, or, if they're not, that we find somebody who can back up the attributes of the one who is injured. And let's be honest, at the moment, the one who is more likely to be injured is Daryl D. K.
0: Oh, yeah, not just more likely to be injured from... What the reports, were, is he's injured till what November, December time. So we're definitely going to need some backup in that respect. Um, I'm not going to go through all the numbers because I think you've, you summarized it quite well, but they're both, both goal threats get both have really high, um, XG per 90, um, which is good. Both are just over 0.5. I think both of them work very hard defensively. Um, and I don't think Corran can have any, um, Complaints about that. I think i would be happy with that kind of side of their game. And they're both happy to be involved in a high press. But yeah, the, I think the big difference between the two is DK is DK's much stronger in the air, um, and just much stronger in general. He can act as a bit of a target man, but it's also can also run. Whereas Thomas Sante is, is not as strong, but a much better, better passer, passer of the ball and is much more likely to get involved in kind of build up play and, and creating chances. For others, um in that respect, I mean, both have got a very similar expected assists per as well, at 0.07, but they get it in, in very different ways. I think DK is just kind of the ability to to receive the ball in the box and play off, just lay the ball off for teammates in the box.
2: Well the other thing is Brandon gets a bit more involved in the pre assist side of things. Pete, I mean you you think back to the goal against Norwich where he's just he's he's won the ball, he's battled it out, he's played it down the line and then Connor Townsend's the one who's pulled it back and and you do see that a fair bit from Brandon, don't you?
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean all of his passing numbers are you kind of looking at like the, the 75th percentile for a lot of them um, in terms of uh, through passes, passes to the penalty area, accuracy passes to the final third, just a large proportion of his, his passing metrics that he scores in the 75th percentile or above. Whereas DK is like the complete opposite. Um I mean, three passes in like the fifth percentile. So right at the other end of the spectrum Um and for a lot of them as well. So that's the big difference in the game. Like I say, I, I don't, don't think one style is better than the other. Um, I think if... If DK was fit for a full season and Brandon Thomas Sante was fit for a full season and they played the same amount of games, then I think DK would outscore Thomas Sante, I think it would be first choice.
2: But- would it be fair to say though, Pete, that if they were both fit for the full amount of games, which you know obviously is not really going to happen given DK's current injury, but if 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 they were, we've got two unbelievable strikers for this level, two markedly different strikers, but together, having the option to call upon both of them is is probably more asset than most clubs in this in this league have got.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, two very good strikers and probably beneficial that they aren't exactly the same because you can use them in different ways if they're both available. Yeah, it's, you know, horses for courses. If Colbran thinks one will be better against side, then I'm sure he'll use that one. Um they're both putting a lot of work. So, you know, I think they, they're going to need the rest as well. And we saw that this season, that they're quite often getting rotated when they could. They're both fit.
2: Obviously, once you get beyond that, I mean, you, you're talking about things like pushing Grant into a central role, which I don't think, I, I, I just don't think really works, particularly with uh, with Corbrandt's style of play. And after that, you're into youngsters, aren't you? Cleary, foul. I think... Are we both? I know we're sending a lot of people out on loan here, but I, I, I mean, Cleary, he, he just, he, I mean, Cleary got injured towards the end of the season, but he generally didn't seem to want to trust Cleary. He seemed to, he, he would rather go with other options, even when there was opportunities to put Cleary on on the bench. He didn't seem to to want to. The most we really saw of uh, Cleary was was during Beale's brief time in caretaker charge, but. Do you think that those two are best served with alone and we try and bring players in to supplement the gap? There's obviously a huge gap left by the fact that, as you say, DK is unlikely to be fit anytime near the start of the season and you can't just rely on, on Brandon Thomas Asante, but equally, I would imagine you wouldn't necessarily be wanting to rely on foul or Cleary either. And you would, a bit similar to what we've spoken about with a plethora of other players, whether that's Jovan Malcolm, Tom Fellows, um, Zach Ashworth, all these kind of guys. I would imagine that what you would like to see is for them to go out on loan and hope at a decent enough level that hopefully all these players that I've just reeled off can come back to the Albion ready to play a part next season. And by next season, I mean 24, 25, twenty four, twenty five. If we really are in the mud in terms of financially, because we haven't got promoted, the loan repayments are getting getting called in, and there is no, there's no two ways about it. Your Swifts, your Wallaces, your your, your Daro Shays, your your Costlos, your malumbis all these guys are going because anybody who has a value is going that summer. I think, and I think, I think it's important. This is why I, I personally am loaning out. Anybody who I don't feel has the requisite experience to play a reasonable part this season, which I think the only exceptions to really are the two young goalkeepers Taylor as in Caleb Taylor and Taylor Gardner Hickman. I think I would be loaning all the rest out because i think I think we might need them in twelve months' time well said um
0: you know it's a big a big jump from under twenty one football to first team football and one that couple of coaches now seem to think that Cleary isn't ready to to make. Um so he's probably better off moving out somewhere a couple of a division below, a couple of division below, whatever the kind of consensus is on what his level is right now and, and just developing there and getting an experience in in senior football and hopefully making him a bit more prepared to, to come back next season or maybe the season after and make an impact if he if he's still under contract by then. But yeah, I think this current season, it's kind of, it's probably our last shot at promotion really and kind of saving the club financially. Um, so I think we've, we can't just rely on, on youth players that probably aren't ready yet to, to be relied upon, especially for a promotion push. Um, the best, best, um, kind of tactic is going to be to get them minutes elsewhere and, and hopefully have them develop whilst we, you know, make this, this last attempt to, to get to the promised land and, Um, If we don't, then next season, season after that, we can hopefully bring a few more of them in after they've had their loan spells and are a bit more ready for first-team football because they'll be a lot cheaper than some of the players that we've got on contracts now.
2: And then there's what that means in terms of our transfer business, Pete. And I think think really what we're effectively saying is that I mean first of all we'll have a look at free transfers before before we move on to who uh, loans because I think loans are very realistic I, uh, you know there's no there's no long term commitment there you might have to pay a little bit of a loan fee to say a premier league club you might have to pay their wages which hopefully if they're not too if they're not particularly established is not going to be extortionate I think loans are probably going to be the better way to go. But we will start off with the freeze. And I think with freeze, it's worth saying a bit like the conversation that we had at the top around Eric Peters. Really, what we're probably going to be looking for here is is one of two things. You're either going to be looking for players that you can get on a one-year deal or players that are going to accumulate in value enough that if you do sign them on a two-, three-year deal and need to sell them next summer, that you can and I think in terms of free transfers that are available, I think my list is fairly short. One that I can see accumulating in in value is Niall Ennis, who's 24. You know, a very good age. He's also from the area. Say it quietly, but he's from Wolverhampton. Um, came through Wolves uh, academy, but never really got a sniff. But he's been he's been at Plymouth. Um, he scored 12 goals and five uh, and got five assists last season which might not sound all that impressive until you realise he only played 1,842 minutes. Schumacher massively rotated his forward line all season, so none of his forwards actually played that much football. It wasn't a matter of Ennis didn't play that much because he wasn't first choice. Nobody was first choice really. He just rotated them all the time. So to get 12 goals and five assists in that in that um, rotation is really really quite impressive. His contract is up. He is a free transfer he's been quite heavily linked with blackburn as as a replacement for ben brereton diaz i mean i think he he would he would obviously constitute a risky one Pete, because we would it, there's no way he's taking a one year deal you'd have to stick him on something like a three year deal but i think at 24 i think he would be one that we could get and he would accumulate in value, and if you do need to sell next summer, you could. And then the other one who's similar to that is uh, Chidozi Ogbene from Rotherham, who I have to say I think is one of the best frees around this summer. Again, only 26, Ireland international. He He played 39 games last season, eight goals, four assists, generally played as a second striker. I um, mean, he scored eight goals from 6.7 XG, so he's outscoring his XG. But he can play as a second strike. He can play as an out-and-out centre forward. He can play right wing. He can play left wing. He would tick so many boxes for us. Um, and, he, and I think Albion fans would love watching him as well. He was in the top 3 per, 3% of the division for progressive passes, and he was in the top 7% of the division for successful take-ons. The, the Rotherham are desperate to uh, to keep him. Their press described the deal that has been offered to him by Rotherham as the most lucrative deal Rotherham have ever offered a player in their history. So they're desperate to keep him. I personally think he's got too many options and I don't think he'll stay there. I'm not saying he'll necessarily come to West Bromwich Albion, but I really I I don't see Ogbene turning down the chance to go and make a really quite good move to stay at Rotherham. I don't mean any disrespect to Rotherham, but you know, they've got to realize where they are in the hierarchy of the, of the championship. And when the bookmakers odds come out, they're going to be more odds on to be in the bottom three than they are to be in the top six. That's a, that's a simple fact. So, I mean, I think if I was looking at free transfers, which we could get, which I think um, don't represent that much risk in terms of them if we needed to shift them next summer that we could, and probably for a decent transfer fee, Ennis and Benny would probably be the two that I'd be looking at, Pete.
0: Yeah, and, um, well, both of them are two that I identified as well, and I really like the the look of Ennis. Yeah, i got it, that he scored 12, 12 goals in twenty point five nineties. 90s. Um, that's for five assists as well, so it's, that's 17 goal contributions and call it twenty one ninety minutes, so it's... It's excellent. Got him at 24, so relatively young and having come from League One, obviously we've got promoted, but you'd expect him to not be on a, a huge deal there and probably not demanding too much in terms of wages.
2: I suppose it to... depends how much competition there is for his for his signature, Pete. Because as I say, there are rumours that Blackburn are already sniffing. I think it, uh, I, I can't remember who it was, but there was at least one other championship club linked as well. I suppose it's it's always difficult because this is the this is the situation we got into last season with Wallace, wasn't it? We ended up in a little bit of a bidding war with Burnley, and it is dangerous.
0: Yeah, um, and that kind of decides what what wages he will get, but um, the fact that he's been doing it in League One rather than in the championship, probably takes a little bit off his um bargaining power there compared to Ogbene. He's probably more similar to to Thomas DeSante than he is now with DK in the fact that he's not particularly good in the air. He's a goal threat and he's fairly creative for a forward. Um but he likes to take players on and his passing is you know it's about average for for a striker, so it's you know better than DK. But yeah. So I think he'd he provide energy up front, um, by the looks of it and he seems to Based on the data, he seems to like to, to run the channels a bit and just, yeah, it looks like a different option, but, but it looks very useful, which might be beneficial to Albin well in the sense that he's a similar age to, um, to DK and Tom Sassante. So if you are getting him on a, to a three year deal or whatever, then he's, he's going to be around the club for a similar amount of time as the other two. And it's, it's going to be difficult when they're all fit to, to rotate minutes. Um, if you've got three, three strikers of a, you know, coming into their prime at a similar age and you've only got one spot for to choose from three players, which
2: Which brings you beautifully on to Ogbene, who who solves that problem by being able to play practically every attacking position under the sun.
0: Yeah, that's that's the big benefit from Ogbene, um, aside from his obvious ability, um, is that he's he's versatile. Yeah, just seems to be able to play in, in any of those attacking positions and um solves the issue of, of having three strikers for one spot when DK's back fit um because Benny may be seen as more of a well seen as anything to be honest at any of those attacking positions um as you said a very good player There's going to be lots of competition for his signature he's done well in a, a relatively poor side you know you'd expect him to, to do even better you know he got a stronger side around him so yeah obviously obviously another good option on a free there
2: i think other frees that i did highlight but i, I personally I wouldn't go after any of these um were Lucas Zhao, who obviously has a bit of ability, but I mean, look, first of all, he's 29. He'd probably want a, a decent contract. I just wouldn't be signing a 29 year old that, that we would have to put on, uh, put on a, a two, three year deal. Because like I say, what if we don't get up this season? Plus his goals and assist record is not amazing. And, don't hear amazing things about his character either, which is which is a little bit off putting. I think you know Ross Stewart is obviously one that jumps off the page a little bit, but his injury record this season counts against him. You know, uh, we've we've already got Daryl DK, who's a talented forward who's out injured. I, I personally wouldn't be looking at Ross Stewart because what if he does get injured? Then we've just got two of them out, and uh, and I know any player can get injured, but it's always more likely when they've had long term injuries. And the other one, just purely because of his links to uh, to Corbrand, that seems an obvious one to raise is is Danny Ward, and I do like Danny Ward, but my issue there is he doesn't score enough goals. He, he He's not, he, he's almost like, he's almost like a defensive nine. If, if you like, which, you know, in world football, Alvaro Morata, for example, gets described as, and there's, and it's not, it's not, it's not the insult it might sound. There is a place for it. As long as you've got guys around you who are going to, who are going to score, score the goals. But if your problem is, as our problem is, that our main goal scoring threat is our injured I wouldn't want to see that gap plugged by Danny Ward, would you? No,
0: Danny Ward isn't one that I'd be I'd be looking at personally. Yeah, it's just the links to Corrigan. That well, that, that's it for me. Ross Stewart, I think, is a, a fantastic striker. He was, you know, I highlighted him last season when he'd done it in League One, um, and he's he's gone and had a very good season in the Championship as well. He's had the quite comfortably the highest number of penalty X in ninety in the league. And he gets some, some really high quality chances. And in that sense, it's, it's similar to DK. Um, you can also re- receive long passes. Um, it's strong in the air. So again, similar to DK does his defensive work. Um, so yeah, on the whole is kind of would be quite a nice light for light replacement by the looks at the data. So I think it would, it would be a great striker. But again, it's kind of similar that you've got a, an out and out striker that's. Going to be coming into his prime years at a similar time as the other two that we've got in the club, which makes it tricky. And I think the money would make it tricky as well because, you know, he's had back to back good seasons, obviously one in league one and one in the championship. And I think he'll be able to demand a quite a high wage and quite a big contract. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if somebody from the Premier, Premier League took a, took a punt on him, um, to see if he could do it another division up because, you know, the underlying numbers for his, for his season are, are very good. So it, it might be one that we'd struggle to get.
2: But... He's, per- he's perhaps one that whoever wins out of um, out of Coventry or Luton might have a look at.
0: Yeah, yeah. If the if the wages are right for them, and if they are looking at it, then probably question if we'd even be able to be in that conversation,
2: purely because it's isn't it a depressing world that we, that we've got ourselves into, Pete? Where where we're sat here and we're saying there's a very realistic possibility that we can't go toe to toe with Luton for players next season.
0: Yeah. And It's you know they're to be fair to them they've been fantastically run over the years and their recruitment's been spot on you know it's, it's if they do get promoted then it's it's Premier League V mid table Championship money which you know is, is an absolutely massive difference
2: just in terms of loans uh, to finish off off my list Pete I, I mean it's not it's not a particularly lengthy loan uh list sorry for for loans look obviously i've written down cameron archer's name but i i i think that's cloud cuckoo land i i i'm i'm not even sure I see villa lending him out again, and if they do, i think it'll be to a bottom end premier league club i i really don't think Cameron Archer is going for another championship loan next season so I'd pretty much write that one off the one that I think is doable as long as they stay up on the final day and you might be listening to this after Sunday and knowing whether they have stayed up or not is Tom Cannon from from Everton who is 20 years old obviously on uh, on loan at, at Preston at the moment and I just think he's I just think he's a really really good player I, I, I really really like him uh, Pete if I'm honest I, I, th- I think that you look at his data and he takes people on he's got good progressive carries um he, he's a very very creative centre forward he will create for others his expected assists is good and it should be it, it, it he should have had a lot more assists than than he has um but preston just miss an awful lot of uh, of chances unfortunately and he's his finishing is very good as well he's got eight goals from an expected goals of 5.1 which is which is very impressive finishing numbers. I do think he ran a little bit hot at the end of last season but I mean he 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 scored some lovely goals it's going to give him a world of confidence and to have performed to the level that he did at only 20 for already in Pre- at Preston in this division. A bit like when Cameron Archer ran quite hot for Preston at the end of last season. It will give Cannon the belief that he can do it again this coming season. I think if Everton stay up, I think Sims might get kept around the group. They've got more pay. They've got Calvert-Lewin. And I think they will spend money trying to fix that problem. I'm not sure Cannon will get a sniff. So I think if Everton stay up, he's one that he's one that I would have a look at. The only other one that I've highlighted for a loan, and this just goes back to what I was saying earlier about um uh, about an option. Obviously, besides Amari Hutchinson, who I think we've already really spoke about, to be honest, and um, giving an option as an alternative to Jed Wallace is Jesurun Raksaki, who was on loan at Charlton last season from Palace. Now, he's mainly a right-winger, but he's very different to um, to, to Jed Wallace. I mean, his, his numbers are brilliant. 43 games last season, 15 goals, 8 assists. So 23 goal contributions for Charlton. And wow, did he have a heck of an end to the season. In his last 10 games for Charlton, he got 4 assists, 6 goals. I mean there's no doubt in my mind that guy is not going back to league 1 next season. I think he's going to a championship club. Now obviously he went on loan to Charlton which is you know it's not exactly uh, a long way from from Crystal Palace although if you use southern rail anywhere's a long way from Crystal Palace but so whether or not he wants to w- wants to come as far as the Midlands on loan I don't know. But he's certainly one I'd be looking at. So they're, they're, I think Hutchinson, who we've already talked about, Raksaki and Cannon are my loans to look at, Pete.
0: Yeah, to be honest, I don't have any outside of those ones. I agree with Archer probably being unrealistic. Tom Cannon um, is had a, a good end to the season with Preston. Quite a good f- creatively as a, as a forward. Um, again, would probably bring something a bit different to what we've already got and might allow... Might bring their attacking players into the game a bit more in terms of goal threats, like Swift and, and Wallace and Grady. Yeah, Raksaki, I believe he's been a bit more of a winger, but he's been exceptional in terms of goal threat from Mount Wide. I think he's got the highest non-penalty SG penalty in terms of wingers in League One this season at 0.34, with high-quality shots as well. So,
2: I mean, he's he, probably outside of Connor Chaplin, he's, he's, in the second half of the season, he's been the best player, hasn't he?
0: Yeah, I can't say I've, I've watched any of him, but, um, his data is, is excellent in terms of being a goal threat, carrying the ball. Um, so I, th- I think he would definitely be an interesting place to take a look at, whether you take a look at him as a, as a wide man or a central uh, striker is a question that you've got to ask. But, um, I mean, if he can play both and similar to Benny, it's, it's in Alvin's benefit.
2: Absolutely, and and just uh, just to finish off, to throw to throw to you, Pete. Um, have you got any names outside of outside of those that we've mentioned? Because I, I I heard a whisper, you might have a name that you want to mention that just might be a little bit of bit familiar um, to a few Albion fans.
0: Well, to be fair, the only European ones I'm, I'm largely looking at. I mean, completely looking at free transfers in in Europe. That would be eligible for a work permit as well, of course. Um And I think the vast majority of the names that came up will be um memorable, but not generally not because they've played for Albion. There's only one that stands out for that, and that's Embar um, Diagne, who we obviously had on loan for the second half of our, our late, well, our last Premier League season, and he seems to have had an exceptional season in Turkey. He scored 20 goals in 25 in 90s. Is that a contract? Scored a lot of goals. He, well, I think we know what he brings. He can. He's a, a big guy, but other than that, and his goal scoring, he's not.
2: Doesn't know much. the offside rule, <laughs> but that doesn't matter in the championship without VAR. No, some uh, of our officials. Yeah, I was going to say some of our officials that can't keep up with play and don't, and they don't seem to know the offside rule themselves. So
0: exactly. So you know, he could be on foot for a huge season if he if he did join. But yeah, I think the, the vast majority of the ones that I did spot have been playing in Turkey, and I generally or. Generally, have been in the heyday decent Premier League strikers. Um, I'll just reel off some of the names. I think again, they're all out of contract. Baf Tembi Gomez used to play for Swansea. He scored eight goals in 7.690s. The issue is he's 37, but he's only missed one game due to injury this season. Generally, throughout his career, he's had a, a good injury record. Um, apart from the obvious age issue there, it's the fact he's been playing for Galatasaray might mean that he's on quite high wages. Another one is uh, Mame Biram djouf who was at Stoke when they were in the Premier League. Um, again, 36, so at the end of their career, but might be beneficial to to just bring him in for a year. Scored eight in 15.990, so just over a game, a goal every game, every other game. Again, playing in Turkey. Another blast from the past in the Premier League, Enna Valencia, a bit younger, but still towards the end of his career at 33. 16 goals in 23 nineties. Um, again, playing in Turkey, had a, a decent World Cup. Um, he offers a bit more than just goal scoring. He's a bit more well-rounded, but the issue there being that Fenerbahce, who plays for, will be playing in Europa League next season. You question of whether he'd actually be interested in Alwin and if he could potentially get a, an extension there. And again, it's a, a top Turkish club. who are probably paying quite high wages. So, um, it's a difficult one there. Um, and then one final one again, a former Premier League player. This one was at Leicester for a bit and he's 34. Um, so I'm really, out really listing off some, some older players here, but I, I do think it might be Alvin's benefit if you can get one in for maybe a year just to cover DK whilst he's injured and be committed to long term wages. But this one's Islam Samani.
2: Who I think, I think weren't we heavily linked with him when he went to Leicester? I th- I'm pretty sure we were. Yeah, I think we were. Um he's been playing in Belgium at
0: Anderlecht and he scored eight in seven nineties. So, you know, that's obviously a very good goal scoring record. And I think in general he's kind of similar to statistically to to DK, probably not quite as athletic as he is in terms of um sprinting and, and getting him behind there, but good goal scorer, good in the air. Um and if he can get one of those players on a one year deal for not too big wages, then yeah, it could be of a, a real benefit to the club.
2: Well, I mean, people will be groaning at the idea of thirty-somethings, Pete, but I mean, there, there is a place for it. When when you look at the look at the three teams, the, the two that have gone up and the team that finished third this uh, this season, they've all got thirty-something strikers playing some sort of a part. You've got. You've you've got Ashley Barnes for 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 Burnley. You've got Billy Sharp for Sheffield United, and then you've you've even got Cameron Jerome coming off the bench and and playing a bit of a part for for Luton. So there's the the, the you obviously don't want a a squad full of these sorts of players, but and you wouldn't certainly go and try and sign more than one of those. But if we were to bring one of those in on a one year deal to just do a bit of a job. You can you can see you can see the logic in it. Again, also going back to the conversation we had earlier about how one year deals are very attractive to us given our, our, our situation financially.
0: Yeah, precisely. We've got two strikers at the club who you know they're gonna be coming into their prime years in the next season or two, so I think a short term contract for an, an older player could be benefit to Arwen, well, especially with a couple of strikers coming through the Academy that are fairly promising as well. So yeah, I wouldn't be against a, a more senior player coming in on a short-term deal if it's, if the wages are right. Um, yeah, I think those, if you can get it in on those kind of terms, then it's, it's beneficial for Arwin.
2: Well, that's all from us in terms of our review of West Bromwich Albion's forwards and the players that we think they should be looking at in this coming transfer window. As I I said before, we will be back with certain ad hoc podcasts throughout the course of the summer where Albion sign a player, we'll be taking a look at them. And we'll be hopefully speaking to some special guests. We've already spoken to one already, and I'm very, very excited to for you to for you to hear that. I'm, I'm not going to divulge the name just yet, but you can you can take a guess if you want. It is a former West Bromwich Albion coach and somebody who held the reins as caretaker manager of West Bromwich Albion. Not Jimmy Shan, we've had him. We, we've we had him last year. That's still there if you want to go uh, go back and and listen to that really really enjoyable interview with uh, with Jimmy Shan. But we've got a we've got another man with a with a similar back uh, similar backstory for you to for you to listen to. So please, when that one drops, make sure you you tune in for that podcast. But until then, thanks for listening and off the bangers.
1: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
0: This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport powered by fans.